We're past the trade deadline, except we're not. So there's lots of news to talk about next on Baseball HQ Radio. Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, August the 31st. It's show number 33 of the 2018 Fantasy Baseball season. I am Patrick Davitt, your host, and we have another terrific Friday news and comment edition for you. We'll have expanded Market Watch player news segments from the National League with Harold Nichols looking at Lucas Duda moving to Atlanta, Jose Bautista moving to Philadelphia, Colton Wong moving to the DL, and other National League player news. And from the American League, Jock Thompson looks at trouble in the A's rotation, Andrew Miller going back to the DL for Cleveland, and Charlie Morton going to the DL in Houston. They're all contenders, and they could all be shopping the waiver wire this week. We'll also have commentaries from the expert analysts at BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. In the Minor League Minute, Baseball HQ Minor Leagues analyst focuses on call-ups. This week, San Diego's top second base prospect, Luis Urias. And in our frequent flyer commentary, Baseball HQ analyst Alex Becky looks at Angels right-hander Jose Suarez. Later in the show, I'll have our weekly talk with Todd, asking Todd Zola about the little things to look for in the stretch run. And in Master Notes, I'll ask if the Lima plan still works. It's a jam-packed Friday news and comment edition. Thanks for joining us at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? There are still trades and moves going on. Plenty of news. We gotta talk some baseball. You might have heard that the Blue Jays put right-handed starter Marco Estrada and former most valuable player Josh Donaldson on revocable waivers this week. That's usually a prelude to trade talks. Teams have until 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time on Friday night to claim waived players and keep them eligible for the playoffs. But it isn't just cut and dried. When a player is claimed, his team actually has three options. They can let the player go to the claiming team, taking all of his salary obligations with him. In Donaldson's case, that would be about $4 million. The team can revoke the waivers, try to work out a trade with the claiming team, but that has to be done within 48 hours of the claim. This happens a lot. Or the team can simply revoke the waivers and keep the player. Just putting a player on waivers is not a big deal because the team can revoke. In fact, teams put most of their players, except those on the DL, on revocable waivers during August just to gauge interest. For example, the Dodgers claimed reliever Ryan Madsen from the Nationals on Wednesday, so they have till Friday to work out a trade. If they don't, Washington can choose to take Madsen back or let him go to L.A. for nothing. But there's no risk that Washington will lose Madsen if they really don't want to, because remember, they can just revoke the waivers. But one important thing to remember is that a team can revoke waivers on a particular player only once. If a player is claimed and the team revokes his waivers, then places that same player on waivers a second time, the player and his contract rights must go to a team that claims him. So if you see a player has been put on waivers that second time, you know his team doesn't care about losing him, and they might even want to lose him. Finally, if any player goes unclaimed for two days, he passes through his waivers. 
His team can then trade him to any other team for the rest of the season, within the other trading restrictions like 10-5 and five rights, Adam Jones, or no-trade contract clauses. The Donaldson case has other rules pertaining to injury and health affecting playoff eligibility, but for now, if you see that one of your players has been put on waivers this week, don't get too excited. It's only the first step in a long process, and frankly, it's one that usually doesn't go anywhere. And now on to our show. In the first inning of this Friday News and Comment Edition, our Market Watch Player News reports, Jock Thompson is on deck with the American League, and leading off it's the National League Report, and our friend Baseball HQ analyst Harold Nichols. Nick, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Patrick. We'll start in San Francisco, where there's plenty going on in the outfield. There's been a big trade and a season-ending injury. Right fielder Andrew McCutcheon is headed to the New York Yankees in a trade, and center fielder Stephen Duggar has been diagnosed with a torn labrum, which he suffered while running the bases Wednesday night, and he's out for the year. Rob Carroll covers the Giants for playing time today at BaseballHQ.com. So what's going to happen with all of these shakeups in the San Francisco outfield? Well, at this point, the, the biggest playing time gainer is going to be Gorkas Hernandez, who will take over in center field. And we've got him with a huge kind of 50% gain uh, in playing time as a result of, uh, of Duggar's injury. Uh, and Hernandez is kind of one of those guys that's it's really kind of hard to um, to figure out what what Hernandez is going to do. Uh, in 2017, he had no home runs, but, but uh, swiped a dozen bases. And then he's had 30 more at-bats this year and has 13 home runs and only five steals. So... Kind of hard to figure out, Gorkas Hernandez. Uh, there is something there that might be useful depending upon where your fantasy team is, but probably not a whole lot of value. Uh, right field, of course, is now a gigantic hole with Andrew McCutcheon gone and various guys who might take up the playing time. Uh, Austin Slater, Alan Hansen, uh, Hunter Pence all could get some time, although I'm not sure any of them are true right fielders. So it'll be interesting to see what, uh, what in fact, uh, San Francisco does, if anything, uh, in the wake of the McCutcheon trade. Uh, with San Francisco pretty much out of it, they're not going to make any gigantic moves, obviously, at this point in the season. A longtime outfielder, Gregor Blanco, is also back on the scene. He is, too. Gregor Blanco is a guy who could uh, pick up some playing time, uh, certainly, as well. Uh, and with all of those guys, Slater, Hanson, Blanco, uh, Pence, are going to get a playing time game. We have not figured that in yet since, we'd, since the McCutcheon trade just kind of just happened. Also in San Francisco, it looks like Jeff Samarja is not going to be back for the year. He's got a wonky shoulder. The doctors told him to rest, and manager Bruce Bochy says his return is doubtful. Uh, Atlanta traded for Kansas City first baseman Lucas Duda on Wednesday for cash. Phil Hertz covered the story for Baseball HQ's playing time today. And now, <laughs> Lucas Duda's not a bad player, uh, Nick, but where the heck does he fit into an Atlanta team that has Freddie Freeman at first base, a stacked outfield, and no DH? Yeah, you know, so Lucas Duda's fantasy value is pretty much gone for the rest of the season. Uh, it looks like he is going to be a uh, a pinch hitter off the bench, a left-handed pinch hitting option. Uh, so, you know, maybe maybe one at bat every couple of games. Uh, so Lucas Duda's fantasy value is basically uh, out of there. And uh, if, you, if you've got him in a in a non-keeper league, he's sort of out of there, I think, in your team too. Not much value unless Freddie Freeman were suddenly to get hurt. Atlanta also recalled left-hander Colby Allard. Uh, he struggled this year. Tremendously talented prospect, so keeper owners should be on the hunt for Colby Allard. Uh, another guy whose playing time looks like it's going to take a hit is Jose Bautista. He was traded on Tuesday from the Mets to Philadelphia for a player to be named later or cash. Of course, Philly's also a loaded lineup. Uh, this can't be good news for Bautista owners, few as they might be. 
No, probably not. Uh, you know, Batista has not been hitting very well anyway since July 1st, uh, a 190 XBA and a 109 PX, so expected uh, power index. So, uh, you know, hasn't been hasn't been doing all that well at the plate. Uh, he, he may see a few starts against left-handers in Philadelphia, but probably will, again, be a pinch hitter. Uh, and so that takes care of any value he did have, although he's had a couple of uh, big hits this week. So, you know, Jose Batista's still got a bat. It's just that he's not going to get in the lineup uh, long enough, I think, to use it. Uh, maybe he does get a lot of walks, so uh, uh, maybe a little more uh, uh, value in uh, OBP leagues, uh, but again, maybe not enough at bats to take advantage of anything. Yeah, I was going to say, I've always liked Jose Bautista for the walks, uh, especially his last part of his career, but uh, he's not going to get enough plate appearances to move the ratio that much anyway. Uh, to the delight of fans in San Diego, who haven't had much about which to be delighted, the Padres called up super prospect second baseman Luis Urias from AAA on Tuesday and optioned infielder Carlos Asuaje to make room. If I'm not mistaken, we talked about this last week and it looked like Asuaje was going to be the guy. Jock Thompson covers the National League West for playing time today. What happened to Asuaje and what goes on with Urias? Well, you know, it's interesting that they've been calling, wanting, wanting Luis, Uriah, Luis Urias to come up and Asuaje suddenly has very little playing time. Urias is going to get basically all the playing time, I think, down the stretch as uh, San Diego tries to figure out exactly what they've got in this guy. And uh, he's an interesting sort of prospect. His beginning this week, uh, three three hits in his first 12 at-bats, uh, one run scored, one stolen base. So that's the kind of thing we're looking at. Uh, power index so far of 60, uh, speed of 150, expected speed of 158. Uh, so more more speed than power, but he hasn't really shown that much speed in the minors. If you're looking for comps on um, on Luis Urias, maybe Cesar Hernandez of Philadelphia is a, is a, a likely kind of guy. Uh, maybe Placido Polanco has been been called uh, earmarked as a kind of comp. If you remember him from a few years ago, um, Urias is going to get on base a lot in an on base league. He's probably very very valuable. Here's a guy whose OBP could be somewhere between 350 and 400, has been consistently at that level in the minors uh, and uh, certainly could continue at that level in the majors. Very good back control, very good plate control. At this point in his career, we're talking about a guy who is 21 years old, uh, not a lot of power and hard to tell whether that's going to develop. Uh, almost a 50% or higher ground ball rate in the minors, 70% so far in the majors in those first 12 at-bats. So hitting a lot of balls on the ground. And speed has not been a real good thing for Urias. He doesn't have the flashy speed that a lot of uh, a lot of other uh, call-ups have. In minor league career, 1,756 at bats, 35 stolen bases, uh, only 17 home runs. So a guy who's going to hit uh, some, have a good batting average, get on base, and should score some runs because he's going to be at the top of the San Diego lineup. But beyond that, maybe not a whole lot of immediate value to fantasy teams. And one other stat I'll throw in from his minor league record. Uh, you mentioned 35 stolen bases. How about this? 38 times caught stealing. So he's actually in negative territory, uh, stolen bases versus caught stealings. And that just isn't going to work at the major league level. I mean, they're looking for, what, now 75% success rate. So out of 73 attempts, he should be somewhere around 50 or 55 stolen bases against 20 caught stealings, not 50-50 like they are. Right. I, I, absolutely with that. And, you know, they, they're not going to give him a green light if he's going to get caught stealing. So, um, you know, as a, it's interesting to think about what do you do with him in a keeper league? I mean, here's a guy who's gotten a lot of hype as a prospect, and certainly his batting average lends to that, and he's likely to be the starting second baseman in San Diego next season. 
but the question then becomes, how much is that worth? He's the kind of guy that I would guess if you're drafting in a one-year league, you're going to pick up a little bit later in the in the draft just to see if his batting average might be helpful. But this is a batting average runs guy. And I think that's the way you need to think of him at this point. Yeah, when you look at his minor league track record, it, it, the last few seasons he's had OPSs well, one year in a very short sample, 1444, but he's usually up around 800. And, of course, that's not going to translate to an 800 OPS at the big league level. But, gosh, if he's a second baseman who can give you a 750 or 760 uh, OPS, and, as you said, hitting at the top of the order, getting on base, uh, quite a few doubles, I'm going to guess, uh, given the given the fact that he has a decent slugging percentage, uh, there's, there's something here. It just isn't going to be all that right i think you're right it's, it, you're exactly right there are a lot of other good second basemen out there and if you're sorting through who do i want on my roster next season you've got to look at how you're going to balance things and what he's really brings to the roster and he does bring some very positive things to the roster but there's some other things that you certainly should not expect uh, at least for two or three or maybe even four years if ever out of uh louis Urias. And as you said, he's young. Maybe as his uh, physical maturity steps up, he gets a little bigger, a little stronger. Maybe it'll help him a little bit on the home run power front. Uh, Rob Gordon will be discussing Luis Urias in the minor league minute later in this edition of Baseball HQ Radio. St. Louis put second baseman Colton Wong on the 10-day DL on Tuesday. He has a strained left hamstring. This move was retroactive to Sunday. I think they were holding out and hoped that uh, he might be able to just work through it. Uh, they recalled third base uh, men... Patrick Wisdom from AAA. Phil Hurts on the story for playing time today. Uh, what's St. Louis going to do with Colton Wong on the shelf? Well, first of all, as you said, there's a good chance that Wong will get back sometime late next week. So this is not going to be a long-term thing. So now we've got we've got Patrick Wisdom. And Wisdom has been up and down a couple of times so far this year. Uh, had a total of 12 at-bats. He's four for 12, one home run so far. Could get a start or two at third or at first uh, as the Cardinals move pieces around to try to replace Wong. But uh, more than likely, Wisdom is going to be a pinch hitter, and they're going to juggle the other infeeders they currently have around to try to fill in until Wong is back. Uh, St. Louis still is, is, is in the race, certainly in the wild card race, and so uh, they're not going to put a guy like Wisdom in just to see what he can do during uh, this last part of the season. They want to win ball games. Washington closer of the moment, Kelvin Herrera, was taken off the field last Sunday with what looked like a very serious lower leg injury. The Sporting News has since reported that Herrera suffered a torn Liz Frank ligament in his left foot, and that's going to end his season. Uh, Phil Hertz, again, busy guy covering the story. What happens now at the end of the Nationals' bullpen? Well, you know, at this point, it looks like Ryan Madsen is the guy who's going to get the, get the run for now. We're still waiting for Sean Doolittle to come back. No real word as to when that could happen something some uh, reports could say don't do it could be back as early as uh, as early september so in just a few days but for now ryan madsen will certainly get some saves ryan madsen has been less than uh, stellar this season a 91 bpv for the year uh, 4.21 expected earn run average actual earn run average of 5.28 uh, 41 strikeouts in 44 innings so uh, you know, he can probably do the job. He's gotten uh, four saves so far. He might get a save opportunity here or there in the next week or so. Uh, but they're sure waiting for Doolittle to get back in Washington. 
And I mentioned uh, at the top of the show, Nick, about when I was talking about the post waivers trade deadline and those rules and stuff like that, uh, one of the examples I used was Ryan Madsen, who was put on waivers by Washington with the intent of seeing if anybody wanted to trade for him so he could still be dealt and not get any saves at all because wherever he's going, it won't be to close games, that's for sure. Uh, finally, we were talking about San Diego, and uh, I'd like to mention Hunter Renfro, the outfielder there. He's been really hot, and nobody owns him. Yeah, you know, it's one of those weird things where you, you've got a guy, and if you're in a mixed league, in a, in a, in a an, an only league, in an NL only league, Hunter Renfro probably is long gone. But in a mixed league, uh, ownership percentage is fairly low, and this guy has been very hot over the last month. I mean, overall season season stats are not all that good. 256 batting average, 17 homers. Uh, the guy has no speed, so only one stolen base. But over the last month, 301 batting average, 9 home runs, 26 RBIs, hitting very, very well, uh, beginning to play up to some of the uh, uh, the potential that he seemed to have as a, as a prospect when he first came up. So here's a guy to take a look at in, in, the, in the middle of the San Diego lineup. He's going to bat in some runs. If his, if his hot streak continues, he could hit a few more home runs and uh, actually might do some positive things for a fantasy roster down the last month of the season. This uh, kind of thing raises an interesting question, Nick, and that is uh, how much can we trust a hot streak? That is, we look at a guy like Hunter Renfro and we say, you know, the earlier months he wasn't hitting that well. Uh, uh, in fact, pretty poorly, if you want to get right down to the nitty-gritty of it. In the month, he's had uh, he's been all over the place on his stats, uh, 933 in March, 697 in April, uh, 1225 in May, 417 in July, uh, I'm sorry, 663 in July, 942 in August. This kind of inconsistency makes me think, can we trust Hunter Renfro if I pick up Hunter Renfro this weekend? How confident can I be that he's just not going to go right back into the tank like he was in April? Well, you're right. You absolutely cannot be very confident at this point. And it's one of the things that if you, if you get down to this point in the season, I think, as a, as a fantasy manager and you're looking at it, especially if you're in a close race in some categories, it takes daily management of your roster. Uh, with If you're going to have a guy like Hunter Renfro in it, uh, to know if, all right, this hot streak's over, I'm getting him out of there and putting someone else in his place next week. Uh, so it, it takes constant roster management. And at this point of the season, it's hard. A lot of guys are starting to shift their focus to uh, uh, to fantasy football. So, uh, you know, you kind of need to look at your league, see who's serious, see how serious your league mates are, and uh, go from there, I think. Yeah, I think that's the that's the thing. We talk about this a lot, but if you're kind of trying to protect your position, you can't afford a guy like Hunter Renfro. And if you're trying to advance your position, uh, we say catch lightning in a bottle, then Hunter Renfro is the kind of guy you have to take a long look at because in the short run, uh, as we've said, all of a sudden you could be looking at nine home runs in August. You know, if he repeats that in September, you could move up two spots in the category. Right, absolutely. I mean, so and if, if he hits 300, then doesn't pull your batting average down that much, that's even better. And 26 RBIs in one month is nothing to sneeze at either. All right, Nick, thanks very much for helping us out. We'll talk to you again next week. All right, thank you, Patrick. Harold Nichols is a pitcher matchups analyst at BaseballHQ.com and covers the National League for us here at Baseball HQ Radio. Over we go to the American League and up in wine country in Northern California, Jock Thompson, the director of news and analysis at BaseballHQ.com. Hey, Jock. Hey, PD. How's life in Northern California these days? Oh, it's fun. It's been a great trip. Uh, we hit Tahoe. We've gone to wine country a few times. We're in San Francisco. 
Um, it's been a really good vacation, and and this weekend we're going to see the uh, the A's play Seattle, and uh, the Giants play the Mets. The big news this week: a post waivers trade. Uh, this is. Quite a surprise, I think. The Yankees acquired former All-Star outfielder Andrew McCutcheon from San Francisco for a couple of prospects and some cash. Uh, How does McCutcheon fit into a Yankees outfield DH situation that already has Brett Gardner, Aaron Hicks, Giancarlo Stanton, and we have to expect sooner or later Aaron Judge? Right now, the updated Baseball HQ projection depth chart gives... uh, um, Gardner and Hicks, uh, 90% each of the outfield playing time. McCutcheon, 80%. Judge, 20%. Stanton drops down to 10%, but he gets 90% of the uh, DH at bats. And, of course, all of this means there's going to be fewer DH appearances for guys like Neil Walker, Clint Frazier, and Luke Voigt. It's an interesting move for sure. I've seen some other depth charts that suggest McCutcheon is not going to play as much as we think he is, so it's going to be a fairly fluid situation, but I still think uh, if you've got any fab left, McCutcheon in an American League-only format is going to be probably the biggest thing that's going to cross over at this point. Uh, in Cleveland, they got some bad news for a bullpen that didn't really need any more bad news. They, they were just getting their feet under them when all of a sudden uh, left-handed relief ace Andrew Miller was going back on the DL. He's got that left shoulder problem. Uh, It's been uh, recurring for him. The move is retroactive to August 27th. Uh, Tom Kephart covered the story for playing time today. What's Cleveland going to do without Andrew Miller? Well, they're probably going to do what they've been doing because Miller's pretty much missed most of 2018 with recurring arm problems. Uh, And at this point, it's it's hard to be optimistic. Uh, At Baseball HQ, we expect Cleveland to continue relying on Brad Hand, Adam Simber, both of whom they got from San Diego, and Cody Cody Allen with the the mid-inning stints going to Neil Ramirez, Dan Otero, and uh, and Tyler Olson. Now, Olson has decent skills uh, combined with his horrendous luck. Uh, He's got a 1.7 home run per nine innings that have undermined a a 140 uh, BPV which has resulted in a huge gap between his 6.75 ERA and 3.66 expected ERA. Uh, he's been used mostly as a, as a loogie in his previous 2018 uh, stints with Cleveland. And uh, he's, he's got uh, 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 20 innings over 32 appearances, so he'll likely continue in that role. I talked with uh, Nick in the National League Report a little earlier, Jock, about Atlanta acquiring Lucas Duda from Kansas City. Uh, Duda won't be playing much in Atlanta, but he was playing in Kansas City. So what happens to his at-bats in the Royals' batting order? Well, right now we're expecting a a big playing time increase for Jorge Soler, who should be back from uh, a rehab assignment after that fractured toe. Um, It makes sense that Soler is going to get the remainder of the playing time. He's probably going to be starting for Kansas City uh, next year, but they're probably going to put him at DH uh, because of that injury. We're also expecting some gains from Ryan O'Hearn and Frank Schwindel. Uh, O'Hearn is interesting. He's a first baseman. He has six home runs and 65 at-bats. He draws enough walks, uh, and his uh, his 269 uh, expected batting average kind of uh, indicates some upside from his current 231 batting average. Uh, might be a tough get in AL only leagues, though, after posting uh, an 1130 OPS over the past seven days, and that includes a 19% walk rate. Yeah, he's been on fire, and I'm sure he's catching the eyes, maybe not just in American League formats, but in mixed, uh, anybody who's pounding the ball like he is. Now, I don't know a lot about this guy, Frank Schwindel. Yeah, I'm not sure there's uh, there's a lot to know. Um, um, he's, he's probably going to get called up in September. He's shown decent power. Uh, 
um, 26 years old, so not young for that level, and he's repeating the level the third time this year. He's not on uh, Baseball HQ's lists of, of, of top 15 prospects in the Royals organization. Um, he's a first baseman catcher, uh, mostly first base. Uh, I, I think another possibility for added playing time here is uh, Hunter Dozier. He's finally started to show signs of life in August. Uh, a 116, a 116 hard contact rate and 33% hit rate uh, has uh, has really uh, really helped him out. His contact rate is is up to 72%, and he's a former top prospect. Uh, so they may give him some chances to succeed here. Yeah, he was their uh, first pick in the uh, 2015 draft, I think eighth overall. And, of course, that means a big contract, and the big contract means a big investment, and uh, no general manager wants to look at his uh, first first pick in a, in a previous draft and say we're giving up on him. Yeah, you know, it's a sad comment on the way this, these things work, right, Jock, that sometimes it's how much a guy's being paid rather than how much he's doing on the field that, that uh, creates playing time opportunity. Yeah, indeed, and uh, Kansas City's out of it, so um, they have lots of things that they can do, but they've got to be preparing for 2019. Meanwhile, the Oakland A's, how about them? Embroiled in a pennant race, also in the wildcard race, of course, uh, and, geez, they're losing pitchers at a terrible rate. The latest to go on the DL is Brett Anderson. Uh, what's the latest on the A's rotation with this news? Yeah, that A's thing is really interesting. I wrote uh, something up on it in playing time uh, tomorrow this past week. Um, Anderson's come down with a forearm strain, and that's within a couple of days of uh, obviously of Sean Manaya coming down with rotator cuff uh, tendonitis, and I don't think either of them are coming back uh, in September, and uh, that's that's the latest word at least. So th- so the A's are in a little bit of trouble now. Replacing um, uh, Manaya is going to be Daniel Menken, who has struggled as a starter. Uh, he's also struggled with injuries. Um, Frankie Montas is the, is the name now replacing Brett Anderson. Montas, basically, he, he's somebody I like probably a little more than I should. Uh, he was a very reliable streaming off, uh, uh, option early, earlier this year. Um, he started to fade a little bit. Um, um, this is a guy who, who uh, had surgery a couple of years ago that has really impeded his development. He's on an innings count. Um, he's not getting a lot of swing and miss right now, but he still has very good mid-90s stuff. His control has improved. The problem with Montas right now is he's pitched 121 innings after uh, after pitching a little over 60 professional innings last year. Uh, he, he's not very reliable right now. He pitched, uh, he pitched Thursday night, uh, August 30th, against Seattle. He gave up a bunch of runs early, and then he settled down and actually went six innings and and uh, and gave up only one run over his final five innings in a game that uh, that the A's lost. But uh, I think his recent performance performance indicates that he could be tire, tiring right now. Yeah, yeah, they have to be careful with their prized young arms as well. I, I know that they're in a pennant race and a playoff race here, and they have to really kind of throw caution to the winds. But they're not that kind of organization. I think they're a little more careful than that. Would you expect that uh, with uh, not that long to go before the uh, deadline for playoff trades, uh, that is trades that guys can be uh, eligible for the playoffs, that's approaching quickly. Is there any chance that the uh, A's try to make a last-minute deal to pick up a starter? Yeah, I think they're always looking, and I, and I think that's reflective in the fact that they've staffed their bullpen so very well. That and the fact that I don't think they assumed their rotation was going to last. Uh, they've got a very deep bullpen, and that's one of the good things about the A's going forward. 
And I noticed that uh, the Toronto Blue Jays put Marco Estrada on waivers. Uh, I don't think he was claimed, so he could be traded. Flyball pitcher in that park might be a shot in the arm for Marco Estrada if they're able to make a deal there. Uh, over in Houston, they got some bad news in their rotation as well. Uh, everybody who's trying to compete for that spot seems to be running into no end of trouble. Charlie Morton has gone on to the DL after Lance McCullers was on the DL just last week. Uh, how will the Astros redistribute Charlie Morton's innings in this very tight pennant race? Well, Morton, it, it, it's interesting. Um, it, if you listen to uh, to to um, GM Jeff Lunau, um I don't think he expects this injury to, to last to last for too long. Uh, Houston has a couple of off days between now and September 13th, and according to Lou now, uh, Morton's only going to miss a couple of starts. Um, when you and so when you come right down to it, when you when you look at when you look at uh, roster expansion, um, basically the, the A's have I'm sorry, the, the Astros have enough pitching depth that they can probably get by this one. Um, the problem right now, of course, is that they also have uh, Lance McCullers out. So they're not out of the woods yet. They're only two and a half games in front of Oakland as we speak, even though the A's are reeling. And, uh, and it, it's going to be interesting. This is a very watchable situation for fantasy owners. Meanwhile, some good news for them. They're getting all of their hitters back. They got Carlos Correa back. They got Jose Altuve back a couple of, within the last couple of weeks. And, uh, and now, uh, as if they didn't already have enough embarrassment of riches, Tyler White has just been red hot, Jock. And if he stays that way, somebody's got to lose some playing time here. What's going to happen if Tyler White continues to rake like this? Yeah, it's interesting you bring up White because he's he's absolutely been the Astros' very best hitter in the second half. He has 11 home runs, 315 batting average, and he's walking 10% of the time. That's in just barely over 100 at-bats. I think it's 111 at-bats. And uh, while that power binge isn't isn't fully supported by our expected power index, he's not slowing down. And the bottom line is what it is. Uh, with all the Houston injuries, White had been playing first base while the Astros moved Yuli Gurriel around the infield. And now that everyone's healthy, he's a DH, uh, and and he's making slumping Evan Gaddis uh, an afterthought. And if he keeps hitting, uh, he could even take time some some first base time from Gurriel, who's hit just 247 in the second half with four home runs. One thing he's not going to do is take away any time from Alex Bregman, who has uh, not exactly quietly, but also not exactly with huge fanfare, become one of the best hitters in the American League. Yeah, Bregman has been amazing. He's been their MVP, particularly with all the injuries to Altuve and Correa and George Springer. Him and White have been the guy carrying this offense, which has been very inconsistent in the second half. I'm curious, do you think uh, that Alex Bregman could climb up into the top tier like a top 15 pick in 2019 drafts? I do, yeah. Um, positionally, he's at the right spot. Uh, I've always thought he was going to blossom at some point. He's still a young guy. Um, I, I, I personally think he's legit. Closer to home for you, the Los Angeles Angels made a bunch of news this week, starting by putting Albert Pujols on the DL. He's got a knee injury. Seems he gets a lot of lower body ailments these last few years, his feet and his knees and his legs. Looks like he's done for the year uh, this time. So the first question, with Pujols out, who gets the playing time? Well, right now it's 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 kind of interesting. Um, um, they they don't have any real good options there. They have Jeffrey Marte and, and Caleb Coward, and in fact, that's the first announcement is that uh, along with Pujols' injury, and, and uh, is that uh, Marte and Coward will share that first first base time. Uh, I noted in in my playing time tomorrow piece this week another possibility is Jose Miguel Fernandez. Uh, he he posted a two seventy nine batting average. Um, 
in, with an 88% contact rate over 43 at bats in two earlier limited stints with the Angels. Uh, um, his biggest problem is defense, uh, and and uh, it, it, the only place he's played this year in L.A. is, is or I'm sorry, in Anaheim is, is first base. In theory, he's a second baseman. That's been his his uh, position since he started playing baseball in Cuba. But uh, the Dodgers released him. The Angels picked him up in spite of a of a of a nice bat. Uh, um, I don't think anyone thinks he can play in the middle of the infield or even third base. So it'll be interesting to see what the Angels do. Another option is potentially Matt Thace, uh, the prospect that they have down in AAA. And the second question about this news, what does this say about the future of Albert Pools? Well, yeah, I mean, that that is interesting. I think Albert's biggest problem is is with Shohei Otani uh, sucking up DH time. He's been forced to play more first base than, than he should, and I'm sure that's aggravated uh, his uh, his his injury unless he can unless he can play DH uh, I mean he's 38 right now 39 his production is obviously not what it used to be although you know I mean just, he, he's he's still moderately productive um, they need to figure out a way to put him at DH or better yet get him to retire so it's going to be interesting to see what they do in the offseason some offsetting good news for the Angels. Uh, outfielder Justin Upton was recalled from the DL. I assume he goes straight back into left field and straight into the middle of the batting order? Yeah, he does. Uh, basically, Eric Young, who'd been playing for uh, Mike Trout and then later for Upton, uh, he's going to take a seat on the bench. I would, I would put Upton in immediately if you own him. You mentioned Shohei Otani. Uh, he's going back to the pitcher's mound. Uh, this surprises me a little bit. He'll be starting a game on Sunday. So again, I have two questions, Jock. First, how well do you expect Otani to pitch after this long layoff? Yeah, this is one of those things that I've been kind of up and down on a little bit. Uh, uh, I've been surprised by Otani's throwing sessions and the progress they'd reported in this ramp up. Uh, I've, I've long thought that Otani, they, they sh- just should have bit the, bit the bullet and go ahead with the Tommy John surgery and get it done. But the more I think about it, it actually makes sense. Uh, Otani would be lost for 2019, even even if he had had the immediate Tommy John surgery back in back in June or July. And at least his September effort offers a sliver of a chance to see if he can return um, via the plasma-rich platelet treatment route. I'm skeptical just because he's had this same treatment for the past couple of years, and that elbow ligament seems problematic. Uh, he, so he's he's had this issue before, and 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 that uh, that uh, prognosis hasn't worked. Um, but like I said, right now, even if his upcoming effort doesn't work out, LAA or the Angels haven't lost anything time-wise. Uh, and all that being said, right now, if you need pitching stats and especially strikeouts, I'd be activating Otani right now. Well, you uh, you mentioned the elbow injury and that whole situation, so that's my second question. This looks like a terrible risk to me for the Angels to take. He has a grade 2 sprain of that ulnar ligament, which is a fairly serious tear, and he was actually a candidate for Tommy John surgery. They elected to glow the, uh, the platelet-rich uh, plasma therapy, and apparently it's worked fairly well. I think it's the same thing that Masahiro Tanaka had done uh, with, you know, mixed kind of success. Why do you think the Angels took this risk in a season that's already lost to them? And you mentioned that the amount of time that's lost is going to be lost either way if he has to have Tommy John. But if they'd done it in June, he would have been ready for 2020. Now if they wait till September, he's going to miss all of that and maybe spring training in 2020 as well. Well, I'm I'm not sure of that because you, here we are in uh, in uh, September 2018. The the standard minimum um 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 months on the shelf that most Tommy John uh, um, 
experts quote is is 12 uh, he's not going to be ready after 12 months but uh, but if you're talking about uh, uh, September of, of let, let's say October of next year let's say if uh, if uh, Otani decides to undergo Tommy John surgery in October that would put him out through October 2019 and then he still has what five more months until or six more months until spring training the next year so I think the Angels look at that as a wash they figure if he has to have the surgery in October November he could still be ready for spring training uh, 2020 but uh, either way if he can't uh, if he can't make this work here in September uh, he's going to be lost in 2019 at least as a at least as a pitcher. Huh, that's interesting. Have you heard anything about if he does have Tommy John, could he still hit? Yeah, that's the question I'm wondering. I really don't know the answer to that one, and I haven't seen anyone write much about it. So, um, uh, it's, I'm, I'm sure they've looked at that, but I, I, surprisingly, I haven't seen anything about it. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm going to tr- uh, do some research and try to find out what the status of that might be because it's a different motion, of course. But uh, if your if your elbow ligament has been completely rebuilt or replaced, in fact, in Tommy John, I wonder if that has a follow-on effect for swinging a bat. Uh, and if and if you think about it, right now, I mean, he's playing with that uh, with that ligament injury, and he's hitting pretty darn well right now. <laughs> There is that. You're right about that. Uh, The Orioles' Mark Trumbo has a wonky knee, and news out of Charm City is that he has decided to have the surgery that will end his year and make him ready for spring training next year. He's still under contract. Matt Dodge covers the Orioles for playing time today. Who gets Trumbo's plate appearances? Yeah, that's a mixed bag. Uh, Trey Mancini's been getting most of the DH uh, plate appearances while Trumbo's been out, and, and that should continue. We're projecting Man, uh, Mancini to get about 100 more at-bats at similar performance levels. Uh, the Orioles want to see what he can do uh, um, uh, for year-end heading into next year again. There are some other names. Um, we've got uh, Pedro Alvarez, Joey Rickard, and Craig, Gent- yeah, and Craig Gentry. Um, but there's just nothing too rosterable, rosterable there in mixed leagues, and I'm not sure how much of a future they have in uh, in Baltimore. Um, I, I, th- I think um, um, owners might be intrigued at Cedric the Entertainer Mullins the second, who's already logged 68 bats this season after his call-up and has a 305 batting average with uh, two home runs. The batting average looks like a mirage. His, his expected batting average is 40 points lower, and we're projecting 260 for the rest of the year. But he's got a good walk rate, and he's got some good secondary skills. So he's an interesting guy. I also saw something at the BaseballHQ.com story about a guy named John Andrioli. What's his story? Well, he's got about 31 at bats. He doesn't have any power. Um, he really attracted me waiting to happen. He's, uh, he's got good speed, uh, 256 stolen bases in eight seasons against, uh, against 64 caught stealings. And that's an 80% success rate. That's pretty good. That's in the minors. Uh, but he can't steal first and he's got a, a 273 on base percentage in the minors. That doesn't translate well to the majors at all. Uh, at best, he's a short run spec, uh, speculation for this season. He might get a few stolen bases as a pinch runner or defensive uh, replacement. Lots of news. I'm sure there's more to come. Jock, thanks a million for helping us out. Enjoy the rest of your time in Northern California, and we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, PD. We'll see you. Jock Thompson is Baseball HQ's Director of News and Analysis. He's a regular columnist and team analyst and our man on the American League beat for Baseball HQ Radio. When we return our Baseball HQ commentaries, we have the Minor League Minute and Frequent Flyer coming up on Baseball HQ Radio.
Right now, though, it's time in the show when I get to let you know about some of the great content that keeps you informed right to the last day of the season and lets us say BaseballHQ.com is the best fantasy baseball website in the business. In the Speculator column, Baseball HQ columnist Ryan Bloomfield looks at post-hype sleepers for 2019. In From A to Zinke, Baseball HQ columnist Fred Zinke looks at schedule quirks in September. And in Playing Time Tomorrow, Baseball HQ analyst Brandon Cruz looks at the rosters and players in the American League Central, including Jorge Soler getting DH time in Kansas City, Jace Fry getting save opportunities in Chicago, and the outfield changes taking place in Minnesota and Detroit. And those are just three articles among literally dozens, a small sampling of all the great content you'll find at BaseballHQ.com all the time. Player performance validation in Facts and Flukes. We have news updates in Playing Time Today and roster forecasting in Playing Time Tomorrow. There are buyer's guides for hitters, starters, and relievers, regular fantasy market analysis and injury analysis, plus roster management tools like the player projections, the daily dashboard, and our leading indicators. Add it up, and this is content and tools you can use to improve your teams and win your leagues, taking you right down to the wire. And it's why we call our site the best fantasy baseball website in the business. And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. Time now for our regular HQ Radio commentaries. Coming up, we have the frequent flyer, and leading off, it's the Minor League Minute. And here with a look at San Diego's top second base prospect, Luis Urias, is Baseball HQ Minor Leagues analyst Rob Gordon. With the expansion of MLB rosters set to kick in over the weekend, Baseball HQ's crack team of minor league analysts will be turning our attention to players called up to the majors, paying particular attention to those players who are off to a hot start or who can expect to see significant playing time down the stretch. We kick off our call-up coverage this week by taking a look at the San Diego Padres' Luis Urias. The 21-year-old Urias is a pure hitter with an advanced approach at the plate, posting an 80% contact rate and a 13% walk rate at AAA El Paso. At 5'8 and 160 pounds, Urias has well below average power, but did reach career highs with 30 doubles and 8 home runs in 450 AAA at-bats. Urias has average range and speed, and the Padres seem to be grooming him for a super utility role, giving him playing time at second base, shortstop, and third base in the minors. NL-only owners looking for a boost in runs and batting average should take a close look at Urias, as he will see plenty of action over the rest of the season. His advanced approach at the plate and plus bat-to-ball skills has resulted in a career slash line of 306 with a 397 on base percentage and a 405 slugging percentage. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Baseball HQ Minor League Analyst Rob Gordon. Another way BaseballHQ.com subscribers get the winner's edge is with comprehensive coverage of the minor leagues all season long and right down to the wire. The BaseballHQ.com scouting team has reports and updates on top prospects, organization moves, those vital daily call-ups reports, and everything you need to keep tabs on rising stars. This week's prospect coverage includes call-up reports on Baltimore left-handed pitching prospect Josh Rogers, San Francisco catching prospect Aramis Garcia, and the White Sox super pitching prospect right-hander Michael Kopech. And in the eyes have it, Baseball HQ scouting analyst Chris Blessing profiles two Southern League pitchers, Marlins right-handed pitching prospect Nick Neidert and the Twins right-hander Jorge Alcala. Both of those guys could be part of big league rotations next season, so especially if you're in keeper leagues, you want to check that out. 
These days, knowing the prospects can mean the difference in winning a league, and BaseballHQ.com has the prospect tools you can use to make that difference. Now it's time for the Frequent Flyer, where we apply BaseballHQ.com tools to pick out players on whom you might want to take a flyer, because they could be available in your free agent pool, and they have the potential to deliver big returns. This week's Frequent Flyer is Angels right-handed starter Jose Suarez, and here to tell you more is Baseball HQ analyst Alex Becky. He's 20 years old, and according to Baseball HQ's 2018 Minor League Baseball Analyst, doesn't have a ton of upside. But perhaps that's where the story actually begins. You see, 20-year-old Los Angeles Angels starting pitcher, Jose Suarez, appears to be on the verge of a big league September call-up. Okay, maybe that doesn't sound unusual. Lots of players may be on the verge of a big league call-up. Then again, Jose Suarez has compiled a 4-10 ERA in 25 starts in the minors in 2018. Yeah, nothing really special there, right? What if we told you that Jose Suarez has won three of his 25 minor league starts in 2018? Are you excited? Most people wouldn't be. Not a ton of upside for Jose Suarez, right? And that's exactly why Jose Suarez, like all of our frequent flyers, should be considered to be a long shot, who may be worth a flyer if he is still available in your league. So, we have a 20-year-old starting pitcher with only 3 wins and 25 starts and a 410 ERA in 2018. Why would the Angels ever consider promoting him? More importantly, why should we care? There's got to be more to the story, right? Well, there is. Signed by the Angels to a minor league contract on July 3, 2014, Jose Suarez, then 16, now 20, has already been in the Angels system gaining valuable pitching experience for four years. More importantly, despite the 410 ERA in 2018, Jose Suarez began the season in the Class A Advanced California League as progressed quickly through three levels of the minors, including AA and AAA, with the potential Major League debut coming in September. Wow, that's fast! Plus, consider this. Jose Suarez, through three levels of the minors in 2018, has struck out 138 batters in only 112 innings while walking 43. That translates to a command ratio of 3.2 strikeouts to walks. Of course, at BaseballHQ.com, we believe that there is no more fundamental a skill than a pitcher's ability to get the ball over the plate, and Jose Suarez's command ratio in excess of 3 strikeouts to walks reflects his elite ability to do exactly that. In fact, the same 2018 Minor League Baseball Analyst entry accurately pointed to Jose Suarez's ability to miss a lot of bats by effectively pitching to both sides of the plate. Of course, not many people expected Jose Suarez to develop this quickly. Before the 2018 season began, we expected him to debut in 2020, proving once again that even long shots like Jose Suarez can have a ton of upside when added as our frequent flyer for this week. For Baseball HQ Radio, I'm Alex Becky of BaseballHQ.com. Baseball HQ analyst Alex Becky has our frequent flyer comment here on Baseball HQ Radio every week. When we return, our weekly talk with Todd and Master Notes, next on Baseball HQ Radio. It's in the 
Camacho swinging at the whistling line, drive to left center field. It's a base hit, it's taken on the second hop by Ripple. The throw is coming in a second. Camacho is racing for it. Camacho makes it with a slide and it's saved for a double. Baseball HQ Radio. And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. Time now for Talk with Todd, and I'm happy to once again say to Todd Zola, welcome back to the show. Good to be back with you, PD. Todd, I thought you had a terrific column uh, that came out the Z-Files last Friday at Rotowire, and you talked about some of the small things that we should be thinking about in the stretch run, but often overlook. And the, uh, I thought these, these were some really important things that people need to be thinking about, starting with not all teams have the same number of games left. Yeah, thanks for the kind words, by the way. Thanks. Um, yeah, and it, this has been an ongoing theme, if you will, throughout the course of the season, just because with the crazy April with all the different rainouts and, and postponements and whatnot, uh, schedules have been kind of whack throughout the course of the season. I think there's only two doubleheaders scheduled for the rest of the season. We'll we'll see what happens going forward, but there's only two doubleheaders. But even so, and uh, the charts that I, that I provided for Rotowire – uh, you know, there it's been a week, but you can still extract the, the the remaining series, and there are definitely some teams with more games. And there's actually the other thing you can do is look at home and away. And I believe, you know, for instance, you know, looking at one of the extremes, you look at Colorado. I believe that they're one of the teams with an extreme number of games at home, and even though their lineup isn't hitting. As well as it's hit in, in, in seasons past, you can still focus on some of the stars, the Arenado stories, Blackman, etc. And if you're behind in the standings, me, you know, you're not going to trade for these guys, but maybe you can, well, maybe if, if Arenado has a good month and happens to be at home, I can make up a little extra ground. So it's, it's kind of for planning. Every, as we, you know, we talk about, every little bit helps, especially if, if it's something that your opponent isn't thinking about. So every little bit helps, and I'm looking now, and Colorado, sure enough, has, uh, has got uh, far more games at home than they do on the road, and the three road are San Francisco, L.A., and Arizona, three pitchers parks, but even so, I'll take the games at home any day. I remember you said uh, earlier in the season there were some really big disparities. I remember at one point I think Minnesota was seven games down to the field and they had to make them up over time. And, of course, that's a double-edged sword during the season because you have the extra games that they're going to make up, but you also have missing off days, double headers, and these kind of things that cause players to miss time because they don't start in those games because they're trying to keep them on some kind of even rest. So as we head down the stretch, of course, uh, the teams, especially the playoff teams, are not going to be so encumbered. They're going to play their top guys all the way the rest of the way through. And that means, for instance, uh, I think you said the Yankees have more games left than anybody or did at the time of writing. Yeah, and the it's now... Although the, the 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 recent two game win streak by the Red Sox has has calmed down Red Sox Nation a little bit, but it's you know it's getting it's getting touchy in in, in here in New England with the Yankees have going on a bit of a run just as the Red Sox were put in a tailspin by the mainly by the Rays. Um, so yeah, the in, you know plus the with the A's doing what they're doing in the battle with Houston, the uh, the Yankees probably can't afford to rest too many guys and they'll be playing you know unfortunately for for them right now a couple of their stars with uh gary sanchez and aaron judge and well three of with didi are are out uh they may didi may be back at this point i, I have to haven't checked my notes just yet but the point being um 
you know, they're, they're at least early in the month they're going to be off just because they're not back yet. Though Sanchez should be back when rosters expand. But sure, the uh, the the Yankees are a team where you can expect their star players, Andujar and Torres, and, and amongst others, to play nearly every day because they're going to need every win they can get. Even if they even if they're battling for home field in the first playoff round, that's going to be important. So, yeah, the uh, if you've got the New York Yankees uh, batter. Expect an extra game or two, which might not seem like much, but check out the standings. You're going to be uh, there's going to be several people out there within a home run or two of the next team, and it, the extra game could matter. I did look up the uh, updated uh, uh, standings details through uh, Thursday's games uh, in Major League Baseball, and and the whole picture has tightened up a bit. We now have a, a bunch of teams at 132, so they have 30 games left. Now that includes Colorado, the Cubs, Atlanta, Minnesota, and Cleveland. Then there's a bunch at 133, including the Yankees and uh, the Red Sox are at 134, along with Oakland. Uh, so it has tightened up. But if you think about, say, San Diego at 135, they only have 27 games left. Cleveland has 30. If you could somehow finagle a trade of a uh, acquiring a Cleveland player for a seemingly equivalent San Diego player, you're picking up three f- extra games. And just based on what we know about counting stats, if the player is playing every day, that's three more opportunities to add counting stats. Yeah, I'm trying to, you know, you, you, maybe you deal a, maybe you deal a Manny Margot if it's a, if it's a keeper league or something like that. Maybe you can deal a Manny Margot and 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 get back. Um, I don't know, I'm mean, say Melky Cabrera, but sure, there, you know, there are there are the avenue is there, and the same with San Francisco has 135, so they're. Also a team with just 27 games left, so maybe you want to get rid of your Evan Longoria's and, 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 and those sort of players to try to pick up. And it turns out now Minnesota still is you know lagging with 132 games. The Cubs, who were behind for a while, also have 132. So you know Chris Bryant's not back, but uh, you, you know your Danny Baez and 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 those sorts of players. Now the the the, the standing. The Cubs even the Cubs are still. We talked early in the season how the Cubs aren't playing Baez every day. They play him actually a little bit more, and it's still close enough that the Cubs are still going to want to win, especially with that pitching staff. I don't think they can afford to uh, to get lackadaisical, you know. So the, the the Cubs, even though they at this point have a five game lead over the Cardinals and six over the Brewers, at least in the early part of the month, they should be playing their iron the uh, the entire time. Also in the schedule management component of your column, Todd, you talked about looking at which teams are playing which other teams in series with an eye towards uh, figuring out where those kind of opportunities might lie. How did that work out? Yeah, so uh, I've had, in, in one of the columns I write for Rotowire, it's a two-start, the, 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 the pitching rankings with two starters. Someone asked in the comments, you know, uh, should I pick up this guy over this guy? I did the math or whatever you want to call it, and this pitcher should be, you know, starting, uh, you know, have a series against this team, this team, that team. And while, you know, while, while you can estimate the teams, the different pitchers are going to play, this question went so far as to actually ma- trying to figure out who they were opposed. Well, he'll play. He'll face this pitcher this game, and that's just too granular, obviously, with so many changes, especially once rosters expand. But in certain situations, you can sort of get a feel for if, if unless something wacky happens, you can get a feel for what 
at least what series each pitcher will work in if they're working on regular rest, etc. And that can be that can be somewhat helpful if you're looking to uh, spend your last couple of fab dollars or your last or your your, your waiver priority, whatever it might be, and not just you know you're not looking for a two-star guy for this week you're looking for somebody for the rest of the season we're, we're close enough that you can try to figure out what their opponents will be all it's going to take is a rain out or a or the, the manager wanting to give everybody an extra day and calling up a you know using a bullpen day or whatever to throw things off but you got you know you work with what you have now and deal with it later I was going to say the same thing, those kind of plans, especially the farther ahead you look, if you're uh, doing it today and you're trying to figure out who's going to be playing whom and who's going to be starting on September 27th, well, you know, it's it's a bit of a mugs game because there's so many things that are going to change between now and then, including team context. If one of the s- sort of borderline contenders right now falls out of the race, they may just say, you know what, we're going to see what we got in some of our young pitchers and we'll give extra rest days to our established guys because there's no point in, in putting them out there. But I have to say, Todd, in my experience, most teams want their top guys in the rotation to pitch every five days, and and they don't tend to monkey around with that too much, especially if the if the starter's a well-established guy. So you can figure out every fifth day, um, if there are off days and there are going to be some off days down the stretch here, then you try to adjust so that that ace pitcher starts every fifth day, the number two guy as often as he can on every fifth day, and so on. You can get a pretty good idea who's going to be pitching when, and that can be really important because obviously if you've got a choice between a, a free agent pitcher who's got you know a series against Boston, a series against uh, New York, even a series against Tampa, the way they're playing now, and uh, conversely, maybe you've got a guy who's got a series against Kansas City and another one against uh, you know Minnesota or somebody like that. Obviously, you want to try to aim for the weakest opposition. Yeah, and the other, the other, the the part about that, you know, this maybe falls under the beginning where thinking about things other people aren't thinking about. Someone's saying, "Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start my ace anyway. I don't care when he's gonna start. I'm gonna start him." But what you do if you if you look at the schedule and, and you see when your Degroms or when your when your when your aces are gonna start, your Verlanders or whatnot, uh, if if you feel they have a fairly soft schedule. You may say, well, not only are they going to be really good, they're going to be even better. I don't have to take as many chances at the back end with my streamers and my spot starters. I can be a little more judicious. But if you notice that your 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 top guys may have tough matchups, it may be a little bit of a, a rough month for them. Well, maybe your, your stats are going to slow down a bit. Maybe you need to go for that extra early streamer in September before everybody else, the supply and demand. I mean, the supply... Uh, the, sorry, the demand is still a little bit li- it's lighter early in September. Once everybody starts trying to max out their innings and the whatnot, the the demand picks up. So maybe you say, I don't know, my uh, my starters don't have the best matchups this month. I'm going to be aggressive early before everybody is starting to go after these streamers and 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 try to get a jump on the competition uh, at, at, in that manner. Also in schedule management, you talked about considering doing a strength of schedule analysis, I guess, on a team-by-team basis or a a Mm -hmm. matchup-by-matchup basis. Uh, This is very common in NFL uh, fantasy leagues where you want to know, you know, which teams have the tough schedules so that you can adjust uh, the kind of expectations you have for various players. But you ran into a conundrum you say you've been dealing with for fantasy baseball for years. What's the conundrum? What's the problem? Yeah, it's 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 fantasy, it's DFS, it's everything, and we've talked about it before, and that is um, is what 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 should we be looking at to to judge the team's strength? 
uh, t- you know, season-wide WOBA or, or RC Plus or whatever you want to use, some season-wise metric or a recent metric. How recent do you want to make the metric? Uh, you know, two, two examples. Um, well, I mean, I, I'm not going to quiz you, but, you know, I'll, well, you know, which, which offense right now is the better or worst offense, the Baltimore Orioles versus righties or the Houston Astros versus righties? I think everybody's going to just say sure. the Astros. But you look at the, you know, if you, if you keep it out of context that some of the Astros are now healthy and the whatnot, if you take a look, the Orioles are 25th over the season in production versus righties, but they've been second, second since the All-Star break. Whereas Houston is 12th overall, but they're the, fir- the fourth worst since the All-Star break. So, I mean, what, what am I going to use as my, as my litmus test, as my measuring stick to determine the strength of schedule, determine the quality of opponent? I don't, I, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, is it a weighted average? Is it, is it the last three weeks? You know, I, I, I honestly don't know. It's a, it's a study that needs to be done. And even then, I'm not sure if there's an answer because, as I kind of alluded to, one of the reasons Houston has been poor is because Correa and Springer and Altuve were out, and now they're all back. So do I make an exception for Houston and, 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 and adjust, adjust whatever my number is on my own? So I just I think that too many things can happen uh, that the, it, it, it would be misleading to, to do it because people, you know, people are with numbers like this. They kind of use them verbatim without context, and I don't think they're accurate numbers. I think you sort of have to go on a team-by-team, case-by-case basis, make your best guess based on what's happening at the time, and, and, you, and, and, and act accordingly. And of course, the same thing is true of pitching. I read the other day that uh, Tampa's pitching since the All-Star break is first in the American League, second in Major League Baseball. And But if you looked at the overall numbers, uh, again, it would be the same thing. They'd be middle of the pack, lower middle of the pack. And uh, so you have a recency question that you're trying to fit into your formula, but it's uh, also something you got to avoid a recency bias. And uh, those kind of questions, the first thing that popped into my mind when you said it was, well, wait the average, you know, the last three weeks, the last six weeks, the last 12 weeks, and then the, from the start of the season and weight them like in chunks that way. But even at that, I think you're right. The, the the problem is you have to go in and try to figure out, was the team missing its star pitcher for that period or for some part of that period? Was the team missing its star hitter for that time or, or two or three really good hitters during that time? It's much more difficult than it is for, for football because football plays so many fewer games and it's much more stable. Yeah, and not to mention, I, I happen to use right-handed splits. If you're getting that granular and you want to use left-handed splits, the, the the sample size is even further reduced. So now you're introducing even more noise. It could just, I mentioned Baltimore. It could be, I mean, uh, if, if, if it's been inclement, even warmer than normal, down in, uh, in in the D.C. area, Baltimore, D.C. area, and Camden Yards is even more of a hitter's park than normal. Maybe that's what's helping the Baltimore offense. So, there, there you know, there, there's all sorts of stuff like that, and especially against, you know, left-handed. If you're only facing, you know, in whatever the given sample size is, you know, since the All-Star break, whatever it might be, they may have only faced six or eight southpaw starters in that time, and maybe they faced... 
uh, some team may have picked up on you know had a, had a face uh, Chris Sale, David Price when they were pitching well, and and maybe you know James Paxson or something, and they faced really three really good lefties. Well, another team caught you know Jason Vargas, and well he's actually pitching a little better, but you know caught three poor lefties or four poor lefties. So it could just be skewed based on upon that, depending upon whatever sample size you're using. And again, against lefty pitching. It's it's there's even more noise just because there's so fewer left-handed starters than there are righty starters. You also talked about position eligibility, and this is something else that sometimes people overlook. For you, you have a comprehensive review of players who have added eligibilities, and those might play for owners who are looking to balance trades. You know, I'd like to give you this second baseman, but I need to figure out some way of replacing the second baseman. Well, there may be guys out there that we don't think of as second baseman who have become second baseman, and you can do that. Uh, there's injury replacements, of course, just general upgrading, and for keeper leagues especially, there's a lot of interest in finding guys who have uh, potential value in that regard. Uh, how did you look at this position eligibility issue, and uh, especially how did you address the the problem? It seems to me that my league plays ten games, your league plays fifteen games. Uh, you know, this league plays one game in season, my league plays five. Yeah, well, uh, that that makes it. I mean, I, I hate to use the word impossible, but it makes it very tedious to. Uh, to do a you know a, a one size fits all list. I mean, if 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 the, if that were the sole focus of the column, I probably would have broken up in one game, five game, ten game, and then just done them all individually. But this is just this was part part of it. You know, a lot of a lot of the a lot of what I did here was plant an idea for the the person to go ahead and and kind of carry it through based on their own league and their own context. Um, Rotowire happens to have a a a link. To all the to the current games played by position, kind of I think it was USA. No, in fact, I know it was USA Today. Used to be sort of the the go-to for that. They obviously no longer have it. So I right. I, I like it like it being on the RotoWire site. Of course, it's behind the paywall. But if a RotoWire subscribers, it has all the games, and then you can just sort. And if you're looking for, you know, soon to be five games, which is the rule book. Uh, eligibility five games in season. I'm just who had three and four, and who may be picking up the last, you know, the last couple games to help down the stretch, or even pointing out players that 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 they have enough games. I mean, Yuli Gurriel, for instance. Uh, you know, not, not I, I know that depending on your roster construct, the fact he's not a power hitter doesn't kill you in the in the corner because you can pick it up elsewhere. But the fact that he picked up 11 games at second and can be used in the middle infield may may help get a if you happen to have a corner infielder on your bench who you couldn't work into your lineup because of uh, you know or 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 even if you had if you had him in over Goriel now you can put Goriel in over a weaker middle infielder that sort of thing. Jerks um, and Pro for at the time needed one more at second base. I'm not actually sure if he got it yet, but um, even things like in, people were unaware that Kendris Morales picked up 15 games over the course of the season, and you can take him out of your utility. I, I, I going through some rosters in some of my leagues, Morales is still at utility, and I look on their bench, and geez, they didn't even know because they could have made this switch or that switch. So just you know, and and, and obviously it's you know with the, with the home run streak. Uh, it would have been really helpful to have Morales in in people's lineups the the past couple of weeks. You pointed out that Nico Goodrum picked up first base on, in five game leagues. He can play anywhere but catcher. 
Yeah, and uh, who knows what who who knows what Detroit may do down the stretch. But yeah, Nico Goodrum's interesting in that uh, he he was. I mean, I, I mean, I, I actually took the chance. I didn't. It didn't pay off because the team's not doing particularly well. But it was you know into the season, and you say to yourself, what teams are going to be looking in, in what what teams are going to be looking at their players because they're basically. They know they're not going to win this year. Took a look at Detroit coming into the season, and Goodrum was behind Dixon Machado. So you played an AL only league. So if, if you're, you know, if it's the end game and you're throwing out a buck bids and you need a middle infielder, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a guy I've never heard of with a cool name that's backing up Dixon Machado because I have, you know, he he may play, and I get to say Nico Goodrum for a buck, and uh, you know, so uh, you know that one worked out. He he, became, he started most of the year, and in an AL only, I'm sure he's a double-digit player. Not sure where he'll be next year, but th- that's just that's the kind of guy too, because of all the eligibility in an AL only league. Even you know, as a, as a keeper for a dollar, it's it it could be you know, or whatever maybe accelerates a little bit, or picked him as a free agent, so he's five bucks or whatever. Um, that's the kind of guy. Now he probably won't get first base. Uh, enough at first base to have have it going into next year, but I, he has picked up enough elsewhere where you can, uh, you know, he's a guy that if you have him as a keeper, you can float him around during the auction or draft or whatever it might be, and you just pick up, you know, the best a best available player because you're able to put Goodrum in so many different places. And then, as I said, you have those players who are approaching uh, the full 20-game eligibility for the subsequent year. Alex Bregman uh, is going to be a third baseman and shortstop for next year. I think Alex Bregman's going to be a real top pick anyway next year, but uh, just another reason to, to think about him as a uh, top-tier player, uh, almost in the Jose Ramirez vein, although uh, obviously not quite the speed. Uh, Jake Bowers is close to getting uh, 20 games in the outfield. That would give him first and the outfield, and that's not not as good as second and third, I don't think, but it's still useful, right? Because you, especially with so short of, of batting rosters in, in in only leagues, whenever you have an injury, it's nice to be able to have a guy you can move around. Uh, there are lots of these kind of guys. It's a really interesting list. We can't go through the whole thing or we'd be here for hours. Uh, I, I did want to talk about the other factor th- that you mentioned in the column, which is the September call-ups, which every year people complain, no matter how the league how the league rules on how these guys can be acquired, where, where they can be played, all of these kind of things. It's always a, a big uh, arguing point in a lot of leagues. But nonetheless, it happens. And the minor league season ends this weekend. The call-ups are definitely coming. But you pointed out again something a lot of people aren't thinking about. Some of the top prospects won't be called up, at least right away, because they're still playing. Yeah, now different teams have different philosophies, but the uh, the minor league playoffs are coming, and some teams. And I, you know, I, I talked to some scouts about this at the AFL, and you know, it's one of more of just looking for confirmation, and they, you know, they pretty much uh, confirmed that some team, even if it, you know, I say even it to you know to them it's important. Uh, any any playoff experience is important. It, you get you through the you know the rigor of a playoff, the pressure you know the, the pressure cooker, etc. So some teams would prefer to leave their uh, their 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 top players, even if they want to get a look at them it, down in, down on the farm for two weeks to have them go through that playoff grind to the to you know win or lose. It's a great experience. I think the the, the teams that are competing, you know, for a playoff spot sometimes eschew that just because. 
you know the the big league club is where it's at, and if the if the player can help more at the, at the big league level, sometimes they'll call them up even with the, even if the playoffs are going on. But more often than not, the they'll let the players down. Uh, the the one that's been reported, and there will be others, is an example is Kyle Tucker of the Astros. The uh, the Fresno Grizzlies are they've got a playoff spot locked up, and even though you know Tucker's been up a few times, Houston has already come out and said they're not calling him up until the playoffs are over. I think it's a good way to get, you know, one of their top prospects even more playoff experience because, I mean, he's going to go from a playoff experience to more playoff experience with the, with the club. So they're not desperate for him. They have enough with with, with, uh, with the big league roster. They're not desperate for, for him right now, for Tucker. So I think they can. Le- I think it's wise to leave him down, get go through that, the, uh, the playoff experience, and bring him up. And, you know, he'll be all ready to go for the second half of September. The moral of the story is, of course, if your league allows you to start picking up these uh, potential call-ups now ahead of the time that they've actually joined the big leagues, uh, make sure that you look at their playoff situation and try to figure out what their plans are for that player if his team is uh, going to be in those minor league playoffs. Uh, Todd, uh, what goes on next week? Next week is going to be, I'm just it's a team-by-team review of players that, that presently aren't in the 25-man roster that could be called up. Uh, a lot of it is guys in the DL, and it's it's not a prediction of of who will be called up because I I can't get that granular. And uh, it, that that question was asked in the HQ forums, and Ray Murphy came on and answered and, and kind of gave the same kind of echoed what I'm thinking. And what he said was, uh, you know, when they're called up, trust us, we'll talk about them. And he didn't quite say it that way, but that that was, you know, it it was kind of the, you know, we can't put together a list of who we think we're going to be called up. But once they are called up, we'll know. But what I'm doing, if if a player I think can have some some significant impact, I'll use, uh, I just wrote up the the Angels with, with Pujols on the on the DLO for the season and maybe even with Otani switching to pitching and maybe not DHing him much. They may I don't I'm going to mispronounce the name. I apologize. They may call up Matt Face, T H A I S S, their first base prospect. They uh, the Angels farm system, you know, unfortunately for them isn't going to be in the playoff. So the 23-year-old first baseman, he could come up. And it, so if I'm looking to make a speculative bid, that's the kind of guy that I'll be looking for. It's a team with an opening without the playoffs impending for their for their uh, their minor league affiliates and he's not a 20 year old kid he's 23 and I don't think he felt he's not the kind of guy that I don't think the angels are worried about delaying getting more control and delaying arbitration over Matt face so you know if I'm looking for a little pop or a little help in the uh, corner he's in he's a, he's a possibility and finally Todd you were one of the four teams in the uh, tout Wars daily tournament final and uh, I just gotta know did you win uh no second year in a row my bridesmaid so if uh this year it was michael beller of si.com so if michael is unable to fulfill the duties of the tout wars champion i'm ready to step in but uh it was uh i i i write the i write the the synopsis which is kind of uncomfortable when i when i happen to do well because I, it's it's not done by admin; it's under my own account. So I um I I wrote this wrote it up, you know, congratulating Michael and and I uh I had a write that that he won because of a uh, a late, insignificant, obviously selfish pad statting home run by Nelson Cruz. 
Otherwise, it would have been you. But I, I can sympathize with Michael's position because uh, the year I won the tournament, uh, it was it was run differently. But on the very last night of the very last uh, part of the of the tournament. Uh, well, I guess it was a single day. Uh, I got a, a meaningless run scored from uh, Brandon Geyer, and guess what? Half a point over um, Tristan, <laughs> and and uh, ended up winning the, that particular championship. That's the thing about daily, though, right? Yeah. Now, th- yeah, th- this is a three-day tournament. Mike had a Michael had a ten-point lead, and uh, going in, and he, he used Carlos Carrasco, which none of the other, which we didn't use. I'm actually, I mean, a little bit relieved in that he won by. 4.05 points. So even if one of my starting pitchers, I believe, would have been Cole Hamels, uh, he left in a tie, so it didn't matter. But the point being, if I, you know, if I had picked up in like a win from a pitcher, I, uh, you know, I, I think I'd rather lose by 4.05 than 0.05 is what I'm getting at. Although either way, it doesn't matter. But uh, congrats to Michael. He gets the he gets the uh, the meal, the the menu item named after him at our annual party at Foley's every uh, every march for uh, for tout wars so that's uh there'll be five more champions named in the next i guess at this point month so he's the uh you know he he he's the first so good for michael well i won't be one of them so uh, congratulations to everybody i guess uh, and thanks to you todd we'll talk to you again in a week's time absolutely Todd Zola writes for Masters Ball ESPN and Rotowire and appears here at Baseball HQ Radio every week now it's time for Master Notes, my weekly discussion about baseball and fantasy baseball. And this week, I want to ask a question. Is the Lima plan over? Ron Chandler is rightly admired throughout the fantasy baseball world. He was among the first to take the growing ideas in baseball analytics and apply them to fantasy. He created Baseball HQ and BaseballHQ.com, the website that has grown into the comprehensive fantasy stats and research source we have today. He built the First Pitch Arizona Seminar into a postseason convention for the fantasy industry and a premium and fun event for serious fantasy players. And yes, you should attend, if only to see Ron host a panel discussion on cognitive biases in fantasy baseball, with one of the panelists being your friendly neighborhood Masternotes columnist. Ron is a member of the Fantasy Sports Trade Association Hall of Fame and has a sterling reputation in the industry. And of course, Ron invented the Lima Plan. The Lima Plan was a watershed moment in fantasy baseball because it clearly demonstrated the power of skills-based analysis and player valuation. To this day, many fantasy owners, including me, use Lima-based planning. I especially use it in assessing and buying relief pitchers. And it's in exactly this area that I've been wondering if Lima is, well, over. Lima is an acronym for Low Investment Mound Aces. From his own research, Ron had realized that rotisserie baseball had an enormous market pricing inefficiency that he could exploit. Ron realized that in the 4x4 auction leagues that dominated the game at the time, certain pitchers were undervalued, despite very high skills and therefore ability to contribute meaningfully to a fantasy team's performance. These pitchers could be rostered at much lower prices than the well-known stars, especially starters and closers. In fact, Ron reasoned that instead of the usual hitter-pitcher split of $170 for hitters, $90 for pitchers or so, he could build an effective nine-pitcher staff for only $60, including $30 for a closer. In particular, he expressly ignored ERA. 
Instead, he targeted pitchers who met standards for skills. Dominance rate of 6.0 strikeouts per nine, which has since been updated to seven. Command ratio of 2.5 strikeouts to walks. And a home run per nine of 1.0 or lower. The $30 he saved on his pitching staff could be added to his hitting budget, which meant he could roster an Ivan Rodriguez or Carlos Delgado instead of a $1 scrub. The archetypal pitcher for the plan was Houston right-handed starter Jose Lima. In 1997, pitching almost exclusively in relief, Lima had amassed a 526 ERA and a 127 whip, and was exactly the kind of pitcher nobody looked at in drafts. Chandler had observed, however, that Lima had shown excellent skills that belied his poor results. He had a 7.6 dom, which was above the league average of 6.4. His walk rate was 1.9 walks per nine, which was well below the league average of 3.5, and his resulting 3.9 command ratio was almost double the league average of 1.8 strikeouts per walk. Lima also gave up 1.1 homers per nine, which was right at league average. Chandler grabbed Lima the next year for peanuts, and Lima went on to post 16 wins with a 370 ERA and 112 whip, and a league-best 5.3 strikeouts per walk command ratio. The year after, he had 21 wins, a 358-122, a 425 command ratio, and finished fourth in Cy Young voting. The rest is history. Fast forward a little. In 2002, I used the Lima plan to roster a few setup relievers in my American League-only 4x4. I wanted to save a little money, get some excellent decimals, the usual. One of the pitchers I was watching for my end game was a Seattle lefty who had posted Lima-worthy stats the season earlier. His DOM rate was 11.0 strikeouts per nine, he had a command ratio of 6.9 strikeouts per walk, and a 0.7 home runs per nine. Now, unfortunately, he had a 2.14 ERA and some vulture wins, so there was a bit of competition in the bidding, but I nabbed him for a few dollars. Arthur Rhodes posted a 2.83 ERA, an 0.83 whip in 69.2 innings, and got me 10 vulture wins and two saves. I won that league. Fast forward again to 2018. I acquired three relievers at the draft, all of them with solid Lima credentials. Ken Giles had a dom of 11.9 strikeouts per nine, a command ratio of 4.0 strikeouts to walks, and a 0.6 home runs per nine last season. A couple of years earlier, he had equally excellent Lima skills. Fernando Rodney had an ERA over four in 2017, but he had great Lima skills as well. 10.6 dom, 2.5 command, 0.5 home runs per nine, an ideal Lima candidate. And Addison Reed, a handcuff for Rodney, also had Lima skills back in 2015, 10.6 dom, a terrific seven command ratio, and 0.5 home runs per nine. The trouble is, the skills didn't continue this year for Giles and Reed. Giles' home run per nine jumped to 1.3, and Reed's dom fell to barely over seven, while his home runs per nine soared to 2.0. The three relievers combined to provide 404-132 aggregate decimals, which has really hurt my overall ratio standings. In fact, the four starters I've used all season have pitched in, you should forgive the expression, with a 3.40 ERA 113 whip. So if anything, I seem to be running the Lima plan, after all, just in reverse. 
This got me wondering how persistent Lima skills actually are from year to year for relievers, and I plan to do a full research study of this topic during the off-season for publication at Baseball HQ during the spring. In the meantime, though, I put together a quick study about Lima persistence. I first found all the relievers, guys with no starts at all, in 2015, 16, and 17, who had at least one season in which they met all the Lima skill thresholds, although I bumped the DOM requirement to nine strikeouts per nine. There were 141 such pitcher seasons involving 81 different pitchers. Five of the pitchers had the Lima skills in all three seasons, 21 had Lima seasons two out of the three seasons, and 55 had the Lima skills in just one season. I separated them out into those various categories. Keeping the seasons separated allowed checking of any effects affecting older previous seasons versus newer. Now, as I said, the full version of this study will come out next spring, but comparing these past Lima achievers to their 2018 performance shows results that are not promising for expectations of Lima continuity. Overall, just 42% of the relievers had retained their full Lima skill sets in 2018. And looking at them in their various categories, all three seasons, two out of the three, etc., shows no real connection between recency of pitchers' Lima seasons, nor their frequency, and the persistence of their skills. But there are so few pitchers that only a broadcast booth analyst would say that there is such a connection. There was a little more evidence in regards to which individual skills persisted, since we could look at all 141 pitcher seasons, which is thousands of pitcher-hitter matchups. Separating out the skills, the biggest change was in home runs per nine. 42% of the 81 pitchers saw their home run rates jump above 1.0 per nine, including more than half of all the three single-year Lima achievers. The best retention, on the other hand, was in command ratio. Only 22% of the pitchers suffered command rate declines to under the 2.5 strikeouts per walks threshold. DOM was nearly as consistent with only 26% falling under the threshold. As I said, these data point to a conclusion that the skills are not persistent enough for fantasy owners to bank on them as projection tools. But the data are also too thin for me to state that conclusion with any confidence. The proof will be in a larger study, with more pitchers and more seasons. This idea does merit further examination, and I'll be sure to add it to my docket for 2019. For Baseball HQ Radio, I'm Patrick Davitt, Master Notes columnist at BaseballHQ.com. You can get Master Notes delivered to your email inbox in the weekly free Baseball HQ e-newsletter. Just go to BaseballHQ.com and sign up. You can also read Master Notes for free at the Baseball HQ website. And of course, we also have Master Notes here at Baseball HQ Radio every week. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, August the 31st. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 33 of the 2018 Fantasy Baseball season, an expanded news and comment edition. I also want to thank our regular commentators from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Our Market Watch commentators were Harold Nichols and Jock Thompson. Our Minor League Minute was presented by Baseball HQ Minor Leagues analyst Rob Gordon. And our frequent flyer commentator was Baseball HQ analyst Alex Becky. Thanks as well to Todd Zola, our regular guest on Talk with Todd. I'm Patrick Davitt, your Master Notes commentator and the host of Baseball HQ Radio. I hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. Also, remember you can stay in contact with Baseball HQ on Facebook and on our Twitter feed at Baseball HQ. 
You can also follow me on my personal Twitter feed, at Patrick Davitt, where you'll always be the first to know when a new podcast is available. More importantly, please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio. And take a second to go to iTunes or Stitcher or Pocket Cast, wherever you get your pods, and leave Baseball HQ Radio a good review and a rating. It really does help us find new listeners, and that's what helps us keep this podcast going. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again next Friday with another edition of the podcast with Fantasy Baseball Intelligence for Winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. So long. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.